Here's a very good afternoon. Welcome back to the show for the second time today. And uh, you're all very welcome indeed to join us. And I decided I would ha- have this moment with you to talk about Ashling Murphy. Now, I mentioned the other day briefly that Ashling Murphy's death has been used for quite a lot of things, which is quite normal in society for that to happen. And what outraged me the other day, and I mentioned it briefly, was that the Irish Examiner, the Irish Independent, and many of the other newspapers used the opportunity to have a go at the right wing, saying that the right wing were using Ashton Murphy's death uh, to, I suppose, uh, for their own gain, to talk about immigration. Now, this is, of course, because Ryan Casey, Ashton Murphy's boyfriend, mentioned the fact that how could a man come to Ireland with a previous criminal conviction, live in Ireland, never work, never do a tap, never contribute to society, and then eventually, sadly, commit murder? And how could he be allowed to do that for almost a decade? That was a very valid question. A valid question which was taken out of the victim impact statement by many of the media, with the exception of the Irish Mirror, Grip Media and one or two others. But RTE took it out of the victim impact statement and it was never mentioned. But the newspapers still took the opportunity to use Ashley Murphy's death um, for many other things. They used the opportunity, of course, to talk about what they referred to as femicide or the femicide epidemic. In other words, women are not safe in Ireland because strange men are going to jump out from behind bushes and kill them. And sadly, we did have a lot of female deaths in 2022. Ashton Murphy, of course, being one of those. A tragic death. And once again, my condolences to Ashton's family and all her friends. But the same media, by the way, are hypocrites because they use the death of a woman as well. I mentioned Savita Hanapanover, <coughs> pardon me, in 2012, who died. And that same media used it for their liberal narrative at the time, which was to push, I suppose, for a referendum on abortion. And many people said, well, why are you using somebody's death? At the time, of course, we didn't really know and we still don't know whether Savita would have died anyway from sepsis. Of course, during the coroner's court, they were still unsure as to whether if she had a termination of pregnancy, um, she would have survived. But the point was the media used her death. And I think it's really important to say that when something happens that's quite tragic like this, we do use that death, but we use it to learn for the future. And that's the purpose of using somebody's death or using a tragedy or using a bad and shocking incident going forward that we learn and we move on from that and we learn not to make that mistake again. And that's why many people online and some of the media have spoken about Ashton Murphy and spoke about immigration in the same paragraph. And I noticed one Twitter account from Dr. Owen Linehan, who's now living in Germany, but an Irish journalist and obviously a researcher as well, an independent journalist and researcher, had written a piece. And this is in relation to what the media had did uh, during the week, which was femicide epidemic. In other words, suggesting, of course, that this was some sort of thing that men were doing, that we're going around randomly attacking women and we have to make Ireland a safer place for women, which nobody disagrees with, by the way. We must make it a safer place for women. It must be a safe place for women. It must be a safe place for men. It must be a safe place for everybody. But immigration does come into that. And speaking to me now and joining me as a guest in our studio today is Dr. Owen Linehan. Owen, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me on. I noticed your piece, and a lot of people did, actually, because it got a lot of reaction. Uh, it's called uh, The Gaslighting of Irish Men by Politicians and Journalists After the Brutal Murder of Ashling Murphy is Shameful. So you were accusing the media and politicians of gaslighting Irish men. In other words, portraying this as something that men have no control over, that we're randomly going around attacking women, which is certainly not the case. Uh, but we did have a rise in, obviously, the deaths of women in 2022. And unfortunately, that's not getting much better. So why do you think it's happening? And, and maybe you could explain the piece you've written a little bit better than I'm going to, rather than me just reading it out. Um, I think you've summed it up quite neatly there that when you talk about the idea of, of spinning narratives, and I think that is a perfectly natural thing to do. 
Um, I think the narrative that was spun immediately after the death of Ashley the poor girl was just particularly divisive and it was immediate. Um, in the day, two days after her death, already all of the headlines were using terms like femicide epidemic and the Guardian in the UK called out Ireland's culture of misogyny and asked, would this change it? Which I think was a very... I'm not sure that the Guardian has a right to comment on Ireland's culture of misogyny, whatever that is or whatever that means. Um, so I think that this narrative spinning started early. Then at the vigils which were set up by the Irish Women's Council, again, there was a lot of talk about how we need to keep Ireland safe for women. Of course, that's the case. And within the week, Michal Martin had put out an official statement and Helen McEntee as well, where... But Michal Martins, he spoke about, he questioned, did we do enough for um, Ashleen? Are we doing enough for women in general? It was this very strong mea culpa. But I, the data didn't really add up with this, this strong sense of putting the blame for what happened onto the shoulders of Irish men. And remember, the Irish men, you remember these vigils, Irish men st stood shoulder to shoulder with the women and children of yes. Ireland. Huge it was crowds, a, it was a very beautiful, around, yeah. powerful moment, actually, yes. I thought. So it was a shame then when I when we see this division setting in. And so what really surprised me was that the media didn't want to dig any further. They accepted this and helped push this narrative that there was this um, femicide epidemic, this deep-rooted culture of misogyny in Ireland. And I said, uh, well, let's look at the data. And Again, none of these publications that you mentioned seem to have an interest in doing this. And one of the striking things about it is that, like you said, 2022 was a record year for a femicide, the murder of women uh, in Ireland. It was the highest number of female deaths, 12 murders um, in a 10-year period. It was a 10-year high. But of these 12 murders, five were committed by recent immigrants. And uh, we can say very unintegrated immigrants. You can see that from if you, when you look at the um, transcripts or if you look at the reports on the court cases, every one of them needed an interpreter present in the court. So I think that it was quite obvious that from the start, a certain narrative was put out there. And when it was apparent that Joseph Pushka, after he had been arrested, the media and government still and NGOs, the, the Women's Council, pushed past this obvious stumbling block. Wait a minute. If there's a culture of misogyny in Ireland that needs radical uh, change, how does this jive with the fact that Pushka was here only 10 years? He grew up in Slovakia. He's not a product of Ireland or Irish society. And that's very, very important because when we talk about using or manipulating events for a certain political agenda. So at last year in June 2022, Helen McEntee, she announced a five-year strategy based off of the um, the outrage, I suppose, that surrounded these initial moments after Ashleen's murder. And in that, they've come out with some very useful things like major funding for women's shelter and abuse prevention, things like that, excellent. But also they're putting a major um, push or emphasis into reshaping primary and secondary school curriculum. So to teach kids about consent, course of control, things like this. And again, that's squarely putting the blame for this on the shoulders of Irish men and children who, who quite simply are not responsible for this.
No, I don't want to go into the details of everything that you outline, and, and your piece is very interesting, by the way. We will put a link, when we do put the podcast up, we'll put a link to your Twitter account, uh, to that piece, so people can read it for themselves. But you go through individually all 12 of those murders. And as you pointed out already, um, the majority of those, or half of those at least, certainly were by people who weren't in this country very long. You also mentioned in other ones that they're people who are related to them. So the idea that, you know, we have a lot of murders in this country where somebody stereotypically jumps out from behind a bush and kills somebody randomly is quite rare still. But it was made out that, that it wasn't rare. No, exactly right. Yeah, that was the feeling. They were they were pushing this fear uh, narrative um, that exactly you are unsafe as a woman in Ireland. That, and they were very clearly laying this on the shoulders of Irish men, that Irish men are going to jump out from behind the bush and murder you if you're a woman. It just doesn't add up. And there is a difference between the types of murders between the immigrant groups and the Irish group. In the Irish cases, the majority were um, uh, parasite. And this is again when a child kills a parent. And it, it one case, there was a boy, it was an awfully tragic case where he killed his sister and his two twin um, a brother and sister also. And even this was deeply cynical. That when this was reported by the examiner, they left out the fact that he killed his two younger siblings who were eight years old. Why? Because mm. one of them was a boy. And they just included an older sister who was 18, technically a woman, so she fit the statistics they were looking for. Uh, there was, there's a lot of cynicism here. Um, one of the, the Irish women who was killed by a child, well, it was her daughter who killed her. And that was also left out. So we're talking about this again, this um, femicide um, hysteria. And, you know, when it boils down, that's we have one case... Um, that's for sure. I left it at two at that time, but I've done further mm. research. That'll be published actually soon enough coming out of um, the Federalists in America. But there so, was so, one so what we're essentially saying is they're manipulating figures. So, okay, so they manipulated figures for an agenda to push a certain agenda. And by the way, can yeah. I once again say, we do always want it to be a safer place for both women and men, particularly for women as well, because that is something that we do need to talk about, safety of women in Ireland or indeed in any country. And that woman should be able to walk down the street or go for a jog knowing that she's not going to be attacked. We should live in a society like that. But unfortunately, we don't. There's always going to be dangerous people in society, no matter how well we manage it. Uh, but unfortunately, this was used. And then again, after the trial, uh, the frontline or up front or whatever they call it, an RTE, again had a debate around the idea that, you know, it's not safe for women in Ireland. This is after, of course, the sentencing and after the, the, the guilty or the not guilty verdict initially when he was found guilty. So again, they pushed with this narrative. Then we had the media come out only last week and saying now you need to stop using the nar or Ashling Murphy's death uh, to talk about immigration because the debate around immigration grew. Now, you've just mentioned in the statistics there that you know, I think it was five, you said, of those particular murders in 2022 are carried out by people who are non-Irish who are only living in the state a short period of time. I mean, that's an important point, isn't it? But it's like we want to gloss over these points because if we talk about them, well, you must be a racist. And, and you're not, you're and you're not allowed it to use rationally, it. It's the only thing that obviously jumps out at you. In terms of, if you're looking at it, like you said, nobody wants to see any woman die. This is obvious. Nobody wants to see that. So if you go about this saying, how am I going to stop this, prevent this? Well, the number one thing that jumps out, the most obvious thing is that, okay, five of these were by um, recent migrants. That's something we can control. We should be able to control our borders. That's an obvious, that's a given. Then you can get into the details of the Irish ones where it's clearly mental health, family conflict is a big issue. And in two of the cases- Or domestic violence. Issues. 
or domestic violence, which can, which can be the case it, in a lot of cases. Of course, but and if you're looking to solve this issue, of course you're going to point out the obvious, which was that half of these were committed by immigrants, and they were very brutal and different types of murders. Like you say, there's there's nuance here. Mm-hmm. And, and, and just to mention as well, because somebody will point it out to me, that there were men killed in that year as well, absolutely, and I'm not going to deny that for a minute. Of course there were men killed, and men killed, and, and women killed every single year. Well, I think that's also a very important point because that's when I mentioned the parasite here. When you talk about children being killed by their, um, uh, uh, sorry, parents being killed by children, actually the general statistic is that that affects men much more so. It's usually the father who is murdered by the child. So again, when you separate out this murder of of um, three women, um, again, and you're, you're shoehorning that into a conversation about public safety um, but you're, and separating that from domestic instances and, again, male, female. That's very dishonest. It's manipulation of the statistics. But isn't it also dishonest that the newspapers, again, the Examiner, the Independent, particularly ran with stories this week that are opinion pieces, um, that the right wing were using the death of Ashling Murphy to further their cause uh, to talk about immigration. Uh, in other words, we're not allowed to talk about immigration and Ashling Murphy in the same sentence, even though her own boyfriend in his victim impact statement mentions that Josef Pushka uh, clearly was in this country for a decade, never contributed to society, was basically on disability or whatever he was on, seemingly had a bad back or something, which didn't stop him cycling around the town, by the way, looking for somebody to murder, but it had a bad back and never contributed to anything. And he wanted to know why. The Taoiseach Michal Martin was asked the question by Grip Media only during the week and didn't answer it. He kind of started waffling on about, you know, whether he was in the EU and he's entitled to come and go in Ireland. Well, obviously, the Taoiseach hasn't really read the treaty uh, properly yet because realistically, according to the treaty, you can come to Ireland, but you must be working. If you're not working for more than a period of, of three months, well, then you're in breach of the treaty. But the exactly. point is that we're not allowed to mention immigration because, again, we're deemed to be some sort of right-wing racist as soon as we even mention there's a concern. Now, you know this is bubbling in Ireland at this moment in time. Immigration is going to be the number one thing at the doorsteps during the election when politicians go knocking. People want to know. 76% of the population of this country, according to a Red Sea poll, said they believe we've let too many people in. And it's not just too many people. The concern they have is we're not checking anybody. I think that we have, we're seeing this issue, as you said, and you're exactly right, that this is the number one concern. And I think there's a great effort across the continent, not just in Ireland, to suppress the fact that people are seeing these massive negatives to do with um, mass migration, now unvetted migration. And we see this last night with the election of Gert Wilders in the Netherlands. We've seen this with um, Spain, with a victory there for right-wing party. Now that's another story. There's huge conflict out in the streets, but we saw it in Italy with Meloni. People are tired of this. People are tired of having narratives shoved down their throats when they can see and sense their gut is telling them the reality is totally different. I've never seen a time actually in my lifetime in Ireland or in Europe where our political class is so out of step with the voters. Why is that? But I mean, when you look at, for example, the Red Sea poll in Ireland, you know, and when lots of people had been saying up to that point, Ireland is full, which was the hashtag that was going around. And then Leo Varadkar steps up, goes out in the doll and said, Ireland has a capacity. We've now reached that capacity. But that was four weeks ago. And we're still letting people in. So... Knowing that we've reached a capacity, knowing that we've let too many people in, knowing we've no accommodation and people are now in tents, knowing that people are coming into this country with no documentation, no passports, not all of them, but some of them are coming in with no, no documentation, no passports and could be dangerous criminals. We're still continuing to do it. And that's not just Ireland. That's the UK and every other country as well. 
Why are they doing it? And why are they so out of step? And why are they allowing this to happen? Surely their job is to protect their borders and protect their citizens. So they're being reckless. I, of course, that's logical, right? So in Ireland, it's an extremely dangerous situation from my perspective. And again, observing things online, it's that my feeling is that Ireland isn't a functioning democracy right now. You have three parties in lockstep on this issue. Um, if you want to vote out the current government, vote in Sinn Féin, it's, it's more of the same. It's perhaps just faster. The door will be kicked open maybe even more. But so we're it's a very dangerous, combustible situation because nobody is listening to these issues. And if you raise the issue, you're called a racist. You're called far right. That just doesn't work. You just can't brush this under the carpet. I think a major contributing factor, though, is that in Ireland, there seems to be massive, massive play with international NGOs who seem to be pushing agenda. We saw that going back to the abortion referendum, I think, and we're seeing it now again, that there seems to be massive um, external pressure being applied to the government, and they seem to be listening to these. We see in a lot of um, Sinn Féin is gone, I would say it's always been that way, but they're very much a socialist party. They're sitting in the socialist group, communist group, you're in the EU parliament. Um, I think it's just, Ireland doesn't have a centre or right-wing party at the moment. The parties that are there are being led by the nose by NGOs who have an agenda and a heck of a lot well, they of money. Do, they do have a couple of right-wing parties. You've got the Irish Freedom Party, you've got Aintu, you've got... Well, this, they're is, all very this small. is very good to see. This, that's right. This is good to see, but I think their time is a little bit off yet. You know, I think that we're, the public isn't hasn't caught up just yet. You know, we still have... Well, Sinn Féin is the perfect example. If you were to look at Sinn Féin, look at the radical left kind of kids that are, are attracted to that party right now because of their, what they perceive to be a strong socialist agenda. But if you were to look at your average, say, 70-year-old um, Sinn Féin voter out in the west of Ireland, back in Kerry or somewhere, they have no clue. They're like, it's as if they're voting for two different parties. They're voting for Sinn Féin because Sinn Féin do this very, they're very, very clever. The older people can vote from because they're a, a national, a Republican party. The young people are voting from because they're a socialist party and Sinn Féin are masterful at walking that line. Now, I think the biggest problem with Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael is the problem they always had, which is that, well, they're a nothing party. I mean, what do they stand for and what's the difference between them? I don't well, think we, anyone we, we, we did have a situation in Ireland. When I was a kid, my father was a Fianna Fáil man, but when I was a kid, every party represented something different. The Labour Party, let's not even talk about them anymore, because they're practically gone. Uh, they've, they're gone, yeah. Just, they've destroyed themselves completely. So, But, but yeah. at the time... You know, my dad would always tell me when I was a kid and he'd explain politics to me. The Labour Party for, were for the working man. Uh, Fianna Fáil were that bit more conservative. Fine Gael were that bit more liberal. So they all stood for something different. That's now right. they're all just cheeks of the same arse. Exactly. And Sinn Féin are quite popular with a lot of the young people because they're more forthright in what they stand for. And that's very attractive in a time where you're paralysed, where there's this malaise that, you, you know, when young people in particular, when they're looking for something to cling on to, well, what have, Sinn, what have Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael got to offer? Nothing. Nothing. But, Look at but, Michael Martin. seen the last election. Him a question. You, he can't yeah. even put together a coherent answer. Has that man on this immigration um, debate on the Ashley Murphy debate, has he been able to put forward anything that isn't just a platitude? 
Well, I mean, we, we saw recently, even with Sinn Féin, Ono Brim was asked quite, uh, or he was asked what a woman was, and he wouldn't even answer that question. So that we're in a very difficult situation when a politician can't even tell you what a woman is anymore. But in the last election, we saw, you know, that Sinn Féin got a huge amount of votes. If they had had more candidates, they might have formed a government. But yeah. And they probably will run more candidates in the next election, which will probably be by the end of next year, latest 2025, February 2025. But the thing about it is, People want to change. That's why they voted for Sinn Féin. And I think they're going to do the That's same right. thing again. They want change. But, Fe- but right. Sinn Féin are not really changed. As you rightly said, they're just more of the same and just quicker. Um, That's so, right. But, but yeah, my, better PR. My, my fear is when we talked about Argentina and the Netherlands and Spain and Italy, which have swung right to the right now when it comes to the political class, the danger is, is that we go too far. Because I'm a conservative. I consider myself a conservative. And I, and I, I would imagine you are to some degree as well, right? Just yeah, to talk yeah. to you. But I also don't agree with some of the stuff that I hear from some of the extreme right-wing parties around the world as well, because I think that just goes a step too far, because I'm quite happy to see people come to Ireland. I, diversity is a wonderful thing, as long as they come through an official process and come through the visa process, or if we have an asylum seeker that comes that is genuinely their life is, is in danger in part of the world because there's a war, I'm quite happy to try and help as many people. I'm quite humanitarian and help as many people sure. as possible. I just don't want a free-for-all, and I don't want a situation where women and men and children are unsafe in a country because there's people walking around we don't even know who they are. So I, I, I am that, worried about the rise of the right wing too if they're extreme. I don't want to go back to the 1950s in Ireland where Ireland was run by the church and we had that extreme right wing and then we swung yeah. all the way to the opposite direction now. I, I, I said recently online there that if Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael, if they were smart in any way, they wouldn't even have to go centre right. If they even just came to the centre They'd win in a landslide. They'd, they'd govern on their own. P- Ireland is, there's, it's a very centrist, even maybe probably centre-right nation. Most, most European nations are actually. Again, there's always been that disconnect. It's just that it's gone so radically out of whack. I just think that that is a major danger, and you're right, because we don't have a functional right-wing party at the moment. If, I'm not sure we ever did, but certainly you need, for a healthy, balanced society and a democracy, you obviously have to have a real choice, and it isn't there. But what they're doing is, the word gaslighting you used earlier on when we talked about the Ashling Murphy case and talked about the femicide, you've got politicians now gaslighting people, and I believe they're gaslighting them, because when Leo Varadkar stands at the doll and agrees with everybody that Ireland's out of capacity, it's just a soundbite. Because the fact they do yeah. nothing about it the following day means it's just a soundbite. It's just so as people will talk about it and go, oh, Leo's on our side, let's vote for him. But what's the point? He's not going to make any changes. He did the same no. during COVID-19 when he said the lockdowns were lasting too long. And quickly he had his horns pulled in again. So what happens is these politicians will say things that you want to hear, but they'll do nothing about it. And people they now don't have feel... To, right? But they feel disconnected. Rodrigo Gorman only yesterday promised the people of Killarney that within the next 48 hours, he would uh, get somebody to talk to them and negotiate with them in relation to immigrants that were moving in in the area. That was yesterday. Within six or seven hours, a busload of people arrived against the people's wishes, because there had been protests all week, uh, of young men, as they call them, um, into the area. And they've already had a huge amount of asylum seekers in the area of Killarney, which is a very small area, with very small services, only one GP, whatever it is. That's the big concern for people too, that we don't have the services for increasing a population so quickly in a small rural part of Ireland. But again, what they're doing is they're lying to the people. They're not communicating with the people, which increases those concerns. And I'm thinking, politicians are not stupid. So why are they doing that? Why are they purposely ignoring people, ignoring their wishes, not consulting with them, not easing their minds or talking to them about these things and saying, well, look, okay, but we'll do that. But listen, we'll do that for you too. 
They're not even doing that. They're just pushing it on. They well, don't care. Our our history is quite different too, isn't it? How if you look at Europe, there has been strong right-wing parties always. There has been a strong conservative movement. Ireland never had that. We've only had Sinn Féin, or sorry, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, and they just got used to running the country. They, were, they didn't even have to have an agenda. It was just a given because, you know, the old civil war politics, my dad voted for such and such, I'll vote for such and such and so on. The only pressure they've ever felt, and now is from the left, socialist Sinn Féin, which is far left. They don't feel any pressure from the right, so they don't feel like they have to pander to those because, again, the voters mean nothing to them, like you, mm -hmm. like you clearly outlined during COVID or whatnot. They don't talk to us. They don't feel beholden to us. They just want to make sure they're in their job. And the biggest threat to their job is coming from the left. So it means they're going to inevitably always move, move, move left. There is no, there is no threat, no, no challenge from the right. And until that's rectified, nothing can change. But, but the, the only challenge they have is the people voting uh, you know, on the polls, but they know people don't have an alternative to vote for because even I ran a poll last week with 8,000 votes and I asked people what the number one issue was and I gave them an option of health, cost of living, immigration, and I can't remember what the final one was, but immigration clearly came out, came out on top. Uh, the second one, of course, was the cost of living. And these are the things they're just not addressing, but they don't care because they know you don't have an alternative and I'm pretty exactly. sure the next government of this country will be Sinn Féin and somebody else, probably Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael, or it could be the same government again. Uh, and with a slice of green thrown in because they just need them to make a government. Because to be honest, I think people have lost complete faith in the Green Party altogether. Two percent of the national vote and all they're doing is putting taxes on everybody. So I don't think, I think they'll have, they've just annihilated themselves anyway. And look at the representation they get in the media. My Lord, if you were to, you mentioned some of the newer parties breaking through and zero representation. Again, it's part of we have an activist press. You know, they're not like the Greens are. They're not a popular party. They're no. a very disliked party. And but, but look they're pop at they're popular the, with 22 year old purple haired people in college. Precisely. And it's just like that here in Germany and across the continent as well. As, but the, the amount of coverage that they get for for. Um, what they represent is is astonishing. Incredible. But I think you're right, sadly, about the outcome of the next election. These are the only two options. There isn't one. It was good to see this new Independence of Ireland party. I, uh, I'm mangling Independent that. Independent Ireland, you know. yes. We spoke to, my, um, uh, to Michael Collins uh, during the week yeah. uh, in relation to the party. And look, I have a bit of hope for them. But again, that's good. I, it, no, that's a really good step because like love it or hate it, you know, a lot of these new parties who are coming up, they just don't have that name brand name brand, you know, that name. But I think they're afraid. You see, I spoke to, him, to Michael Collins on the show here and he was great. We had a great chat. We talked about immigration. We talked about everything. You talked about there should have been a cap on numbers. Uh, we talked about, you know, people not be shouldn't be allowed into the country. There's no documentation that we don't know who they are. We talked about all of that. And then he went on primetime and that night, which was a key opportunity. I believe, yeah. um, you know, to tell people what they're about. I don't believe they were prepared enough. And immigration wasn't mentioned. All I really heard was about fisheries and agriculture, which is not going to appeal to city people. It's going to only appeal to, to rural yeah. people. And it was I, saw almost, that. I saw that as well. I, again, I just thought... That was an opportunity missed, I believe. Shame. Yeah, it was an opportunity yeah. missed. You know, and, and, it was. It, yeah. I thought the same. Yeah. Well, look, you know, I have to say the piece is great. If anyone wants to go to your Twitter account, as I said, we will put a link on it um, in the description on the website when we pop this up on the NileBoylan.com website later on and also on our Twitter account. And you can go, we'll put a link to Owen's Twitter account. And if you scroll down, you'll find it. I'm sure Owen might retweet it himself anyway. Look out for it. It's called The Gaslighting of Irish Men by Politicians and Journalists After the Brutal Murder of Ashling Murphy. is shameful.
And it's not just one set of gaslighting. They did quite a lot of gaslighting in relation to that and, and had a go at people. Sorry, you wanted to say something, Owen, just before we finish up. Um, thanks very much for giving me the chance to come on and um, for 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 letting people know about the, the, the piece there. And I just would like to give a shout out to the Federalist in the US, their mainstream conservative um, public news publication. They're great. It'll be published with them also in the coming day or in the coming day or two. And I'll put that up on Twitter. And I want to shout them out because, like we said, the silence around this in the Irish media has been shocking and good on the American press in this case stepping up. All right, listen, thank you very much indeed. And I appreciate you coming on the air and talking to us, Dr. O'Neill. And thank you very much indeed. The multi award winning Niall Boylan podcast. Listen live on Facebook, YouTube, and all the usual live stream services. To get in touch, just WhatsApp or text 085 100 2255. The Niall Boylan podcast. They told me to shut up. Available for download from all your usual platforms.